Welcome to Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. Triple Threat Theater. However, I believe there is a more immediate threat. Thousands and thousands of feet of film consumed. Hours and hours of work expended by technicians. And once it's been erased and shredded, it can be done all over again. As all of you know, I've devoted much of my life to convincing the world that travel through film was not only possible, but necessary to survive. Welcome back. Triple Threat Theater, episode 18. Mm-hmm. Man. Getting up there in age. Sure are. I'm your host, Joe Dexberger. And I'm your host, Ryan Miller. Hey, Millsy. What's up, Dex? How you doing? Doing well. Excited to talk about some fascinating films. <laughs> Mills. Mm-hmm. I've said it before. I'll say it again, I'm sure. Yes, yes. We've done it to ourselves this time. Hey, we didn't do it to us. Oh, this true. time, a listener did it to us, at least <laughs> <Yeah>. in part. <laughs> we got a lot of unraveling to do here. Welcome back, <laughs> listeners. Episode 18, Sci-Fi Suplex. Mm-hmm. Millsy, how did we let this happen? <laughs> um, hey, I still blame you and Joel oh. because you guys introduced me to him. This one was... To- <laughs> this one was the-, the germ of this idea was... Uh, is from Tony Sedani, former uh, or previous guest host of Triple Threat Theater, way back mm-hmm. on episode nine. The madman himself. Yeah. Um, so if you couldn't guess, Sci-Fi Suplex is three science fiction movies starring professional wrestlers, um, which is a very Tony category. Yes. And there's um, actually enough to uh, fill an episode or two. Mm-hmm. Now, he uh, he pitched two of the three of the movies we went with. We made a little uh, executive decision and swapped one of them out. Mm-hmm. Um, so the movies that we will be talking about this episode are Hell Comes to Frogtown, starring Rowdy Roddy Piper, Doom, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, and Abraxas, Guardian of the Universe, Oof. starring Jesse the Body Ventura. Mouthful. <laughs> so we're spanning, you know, good amount of time here. We got eighty-eight with Frogtown, ninety mm-hmm. with Abraxas, and two thousand five with Doom. Mm-hmm. So, and, and there's honestly plenty of other ones we could have gone with as well. That's but true. Uh, I mean, there's a lot out there. Well, I don't. Yeah. Well, sci-fi. I don't know. Is there? There's probably at least enough for another one or two episodes. Mm. All right, we'll have to. Come. I mean, some of these movies might be considered mainstream compared to some of the other ones that are out there. But true, true. Could well, be done, probably. We'll return to the well eventually and you know, <laughs> yeah. do, do the sequel episode. But for now. Yeah, we've got like 200 other episodes to do before then. True, true. Uh, Mills, mm-hmm. how familiar were you with these three fine films? Well, sir, I had seen Doom back when it came out. Uh, not in the theater, but shortly thereafter. Mm-hmm. Um, I saw Hell Comes to Frogtown uh, back... I've talked before about the era around 2008 when I first got Netflix and uh, I just like powered through like a movie a day almost with their three (laughs) physical DVDs in the mail at a time plan. Did that like kill you when you watched all three and then you had to wait by mail for the next three? 
See, there was there must have been, I don't know where it is, but there must be a shipping facility for them somewhere not too far from me. Oh, okay. Because I had it down to a science where Sunday would always throw a kink in the plans because there's obviously no mail on Sunday. Mm-hmm. But like I had it down to a science where like I could watch one movie, mail it back the next day, watch another movie, mail it back the next day, watch another movie, mail it back the next day, and then by then another one would have shown up in the mail. Oh, so wow. I was like cycling. Like every day I was mailing a DVD and getting another one in the mail. <laughs> Were you like sweating to make sure like you watched one and mailed one so that you No, didn't I mean it? at the time again I'm pretty sure I talked about it before but this was uh not long after I uh graduated from the Kubert school mm-hmm. moved back home and had surgery on my back and then for right. 2 years was pretty much not doing anything like couldn't really work and yeah. uh, was stuck at the house so during that time I got very familiar with the internet because mm-hmm. I had my own laptop at the time right, right. <laughs> for the first time ever and uh, also had a Netflix account. So, Man, what a time to be alive. I just burned through movies like 365 days of the year for like two solid years <laughs> there while I had that uh, uh, that uh, back issue. Uh-huh. Man. And yeah, so this was one of them. Oof. And uh, Abraxas I am familiar with, I had never seen before. But this is a movie where I must have been hanging out with Brian, friend of yours and mine, at some mm-hmm. point, and uh, like we stumbled upon it in like a, a discount DVD bin somewhere, mm-hmm. and we're like, we need to see this someday. But I just never, never acquired a copy of it until now. So man, but yeah, always knew it existed, and just knew that the box art looked fucking atrocious for it. So, <laughs> so I saw Doom. Way back when, possibly in the theater, I couldn't even tell you. Oh. I had never... Familiar with all three wrestlers, of course. Mm-hmm. Never heard of Abraxas and was sure Hell Comes to Frogtown was a joke. That it, it wasn't an actually a real movie. <laughs> sure enough, it is. It's mostly a real movie. <laughs> we'll talk about it more when well, we get to it, but... Yeah, I knew I I had fun watching this movie all those years ago. It had been quite some time, but I hadn't delved into the uh, the history behind it and the director until just recently. Oh, well, I'm very ready for you to divulge your secrets. <laughs> but yeah, um, you know, uh, I was I've never been into wrestling as you and everybody else mm. who knows me knows. Mm-hmm. But you know. Take those same wrestlers and put them in an action movie, and I'm pretty much game for just about anything. Okay, okay. Um, you know, uh, always wondered, based on his performance as Blaine in Predator, why Jesse Ventura didn't do more movies. Because he's awesome in Predator? Yeah, he is yeah. awesome in Predator. Um, And Roddy Piper, I guess he did more movies than I was aware of, but most of them are like stuff no one's ever heard of mm-hmm. similar to hell comes to frog town. I mean, that's a pretty recognizable name. Is it? I, I, I think so just because it's, it stands out so much, but it's not a movie I would expect the majority of the population yeah, to have okay. ever heard of. All right. Fair enough. Just saying it's a, it's a name where when you oh. hear it, it's like, I don't <laughs> think you forget it. <laughs> right. Right. No, and one's, then no one's just coming up with that on their own. Yeah, no, you have to be a special kind of person to come up with that that title and that premise for the movie, which we'll mm. get to shortly. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, um, I, have, for a number of years, have had a love affair with The Rock as an action star. 
despite the fact that he's wronged me a few times and uh you know that that rock fatigue that everybody all of his naysayers like to talk about mm-hmm. is finally beginning to set in for me uh oh. in a manner of speaking just because while I like him and I like him as an action star mm-hmm. it annoys me that these days it feels like he like him him himself his personality is so big that it's like leaking into his films please elaborate uh, like uh you know this is this is going to date the episode because it's going to come out after this movie hits theaters and uh as we're recording this it's before it hits theaters but there's a new trailer for um Hobbs and Shaw out right now. I don't know if you've seen it. The no. Fast and the Furious spinoff movie with uh, Jason Statham and him. Okay. And, you know, he has like the tribal tattoo and he's from Hawaii. And I know that he's like, you know, he's got personal connections to that culture and everything. Okay. And where he stops feeling like he's playing a character and just feels like he's being the rock. That's mm. the stuff I don't love as much. Like him as Hobbs in like Fast and the Furious 5, he's playing a character. And now it feels like Hobbs has devolved into just The Rock, but in a Fast and the Furious movie. Interesting. At least that's the way I feel. I'd like to. And read then your there's the fact piece. that his last like four movies have been piles of shit. But sorry, what did you say? <laughs> I'd like to read your think piece on the matter whenever <laughs> you sit down to write that one. I'll let you know. Thank you. Uh, when it's done. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough, Mills. What about you? I mean, I know that you are. Uh, more into wrestling than I am, which you could say about just about anybody. Yeah, I mean, if there was like a hierarchy of our little uh, group of friends, I'm like just above you when it comes to knowledge <laughs> and experience. Uh huh. I grew up watching wrestling with my brothers. I mean, I can remember. I mean, for whatever reason, I was a big fan of. Uh, the Million Dollar Man, Ted DiBiase, when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. I don't know why. I just remember being a fan of him in particular. Has he ever been in a movie? Uh, not that I know of, but I also could be wrong because I just don't know. <laughs> um, like, this is back when, like, I can remember, like, you know, Hulk Hogan was big. Uh, I remember, like, Brutus the Barber Beefcake. There was, like, this certain crowd of guys <laughs> that I remember when I was a kid. Honky Tonk mm-hmm. Man, that kind of stuff. Uh, but then I, you know, I got out of it. And then when like Stone Cold and The Rock came back around when I was in high school was when it was, I feel like it was like red hot again. So I'd get together every once in a while with the guys and watch that stuff and like have a good time. Cause I thought it was funny. And I thought The Rock was funny. Mm-hmm. And then even just like being friends with Joel and Brian for so long, like I just always love to hear them talking about old school wrestling stories and facts and behind the scenes stuff and everything. So Mm -hmm. I enjoy in that regard, but I'm like, I could never call myself a super fan. Like I could, I've never been to like a live wrestling show, but I certainly would because I just feel like it would be an experience. Yeah. Um, But I don't knock it. Like I consider it like sports. I mean, those guys beat themselves up pretty hard. So (laughs) I respect it and I see why people like it for sure. Well, while you and the guys go out to a live wrestling event, I'll stay home and... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> watch terrible movies starring these guys i feel like that is much more my speed personally uh, but to each their own so shall we dive in here uh, or i think we shall is it time it's about that time all right first up we have the eponymous hell comes to frogtown 
from 1988. Mm. Mr. Hellman, I can understand why you're so popular with the ladies. You've left a string of pregnancies everywhere you've been. So fact. You have the highest spermatozoan count we've ever tested. Must have been all that fiber I ate when I was a kid. I'm authorized to offer you a clean slate. All charges dropped. Now, MedTech's main assignment is to locate and impregnate fertile women in the wastelands. Now, we need potent young men in the fields to assist in this great work. Men who can take care of themselves, who know the territory, who can perform under difficult conditions. Do you feel up to it? Are you serious? Well, maybe you'd rather we sent you back to Devlin. Well, on the other hand, I've always been a patriot. Uh, starring Roddy Piper, mm-hmm. who, you know, I think his best known movie is They Live, obviously. Yes. Um, you Far know, and away. I, I wouldn't say that that's even that much of a mainstream film, but, you know, it's a John Carpenter movie. He stars in it, and uh, it's it's kind of like a cult classic at this point. I would say it's got to be, like, pretty high up on the list of, like, cult classic kind yeah. of sci-fi stuff. Comparatively, I would say that Hell Comes to Frogtown is a cult film, but I don't think I could call it a cult classic because mm. <laughs> it is still pretty obscure. Like but, I uh, mentioned where I thought this was a joke. I, I, did, I do remo- know, I do recall that, yeah. I did poke around and see that. You know, it's it's on a lot of people's lists as a favorite cult movie. So Yeah. And a movie that, God, I this movie just needs a fucking Blu-ray release. So bad. It's not available on Blu-ray, at least not in the U.S. I think that Arrow Video released like an Italian edition with new cover art that looks actually pretty garbage. But this movie is just begging to be released by like Shout Factory or somebody. (laughs) I'm surprised it hasn't been already. I know. I would buy it in no time flat. Now, a friend of mine, Mike and Bowden, uh, you've met him before. He's been at some of the comic conventions we've Mm -hmm. done. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, he is a Roddy Piper super fan. Like his mm. favorite person in the world is Rowdy Roddy Piper. Interesting. And uh, like he's got uh, semi-embarrassing photos of him dressed up as Roddy Piper, like back nice. in the day. Mm-hmm. And he told me a story once about how he went to a live wrestling event dressed as Roddy Piper, like wearing the kilt, and like some guys tried to beat him up because he was wearing like a skirt <laughs> on the street. <laughs> and uh, yeah, just absolutely in love with the guy and i didn't read this anywhere but he told me and i take his word for it because he's such a big fan that apparently uh in the years after this movie came out roddy piper like claimed to hate it completely disowned it and uh you know mike like myself wishes that this was available on blu-ray somehow somewhere and he wonders if uh, Roddy Piper didn't have a hand in like putting the kibosh on any releases of this, at least up until his death. Huh. But that, That's wild. Yeah, I know. Considering the quality of some of the other films that he's made, uh, I would be, I'm surprised that he's so against this one, but I, I haven't really heard the reasons why. Yeah, well, we'll get into it, but, you know. I could see both sides of the story of uh, he either loves this movie or hates it. Yeah. Well, I'll give a brief synopsis, and then I desperately want to know what your thoughts on the movie are. Oh, Um, I'm ready. So this is a cheesy exploitation film all the way. Uh, the premise is, uh, all of the like world superpowers basically 
nuked the shit out of each other until we've entered an apocalypse. And uh, the remaining human population, about half of them have been turned into frog people, which they ref- which the humans refer to as greenies, who are basically anthropomorphic frogs with like frog heads and frog hands, but like kind of humanoid bodies. Um, and then the majority of the human population that's left has become sterile. And there is a organization called MedTech, which is now in charge of trying to help us like humans procreate and like get our, you know, numbers back up. And so Roddy Piper plays a character named Sam Hell, which is where Hell comes from and Hell comes to Frogtown. And um, he is like a scrapper, a guy that just kind of roams the wasteland or whatever, but he's been captured by the government and they find out that he is like very virile. (laughs) So they kind of force him to sign his life over to the military. And then they put like a, it's kind of like how in escape from New York, Snake Plissken has like, is it an implant or a wristband? So if he doesn't do what the government says, they'll blow him up or whatever when he's on his mission never seen that movie oh, oh boy Dex. we're gonna have to we're gonna have to fix that with one of these episodes <laughs> my friend um Ooh. but it, it's like that basically they put a uh what do you call it a um Tracker? Uh, no no the thing that they put on uh on roddy piper in this movie it's called a chastity belt mm. they put a chastity belt on roddy piper that's like a futuristic one that uh, has C4 in it. So if he ever disobeys him, they can blow off his junk with one ounce of C4. <laughs> uh-huh. And then they send him into the field with uh, two escorts, two like sexy female escort military women to go infiltrate Frogtown where the evil frog overlord named Toady has a harem of fertile women that they want to rescue so that Sam can basically just have his way with all of them and do his part to uh, repopulate the earth with humankind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, Which is that's, one of my favorite movie premises of that's, all that's time, I've got to be honest. That is a good uh, synopsis. Yeah. For the Indeed. record, I loved this movie back when I saw it, just thought it was a blast. Mm-hmm. Still really like it now. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. you thought this movie was a joke going in. <laughs> I desperately need to know what you thought of Hell Comes to Frogtown. Okay. So remember way back when on the Triple Threat Instagram page where we put up a, a poll of sorts about... Yeah, what like, kind of movies people wanted us of, to watch. And someone suggested pornos. Uh-huh. Well, this might be the closest we would get with this movie. In that, in the first 10 minutes of watching this movie, I was sure this was someone's rejected porno script. (laughs) Fair. Uh, I I couldn't... I watched this second. I watched Abraxas first. Mm -hmm. I watched this second, and I honestly could not believe what I was watching. (laughs) I just... You know, it was one of those things where I was like, man, I was like, who bankrolled this? And I'm just like, well, you know, it was probably like one guy or like two weird brothers or something. Do you want to know who bankrolled it? Because I can tell you. It was Roger Corman. This is a New World Pictures film. God. Which is Roger Corman's uh, production company. Roger. Which 
was bought in 1993 by Fox, so is now owned by Disney. <laughs> yes. Milzy is never going to get on Blu-ray. <laughs> I know. But hey, maybe they'll put it on the Disney streaming service, Disney+. Plus. <laughs> Imagine they- if someday you can stream Hell Comes to Frogtown on Disney+. Never, Plus. That would never. make my fucking century. Oh, man. I'll put the dollar bet on that one because I don't think it'll <laughs> ever happen. Uh, last episode, I was pretty sure. I think I might have referred to Maximum Overdrive as the craziest movie we'd watched yet. <laughs> yeah. Which I'm going to go ahead and, you know, remove that designation <laughs> and put it on to Hell Comes to Frogtown. You this one's going to be tough to top. <laughs> This movie is goddamn crazy. Yes. Just from the synopsis you gave, it is ridiculous. And I'll be honest, I wasn't really feeling it for like the first half Mm -hmm. because it was just like, it was like too much with like the, (laughs) again, just like the weird sex script. And I was just like, where (laughs) is this going? What is this? I was like, Tony, what have you done? (laughs) Well, this is the one that I added sure. to the list. So this was sure. actually my fault. I mean, Tony I'll pitched a different movie for the third film. I'll and I blame was like, uh-uh, you. we're I'll watching Hell Comes to Frogtown. Yeah, I'll blame you both, of course. But, um, you know, ultimately, I had fun watching it once the frogs showed up. <laughs> they do take a while to show up. They don't really show they up do. until the second half. They do. I mean, the there's that one, like, uh, undercover frog lady. That's mm-hmm. like quite unsettling to look at, but I did find myself laughing quite a bit at like the two main frog goons. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't think of their names right now, but uh, well, you've got. Uh, are you talking like the henchman or um, like kind of like bull the two is the bullfrog guy with the eye yeah. patch. Him, and, him for sure. Um, uh, Leroy, I think, was the the one that they first <laughs> meet and try to barter with, and he's got like the goggles on. Leroy the Frog. I'm pretty sure it was Leroy. Oh, Roger Corbett. Oh. Yeah, so I wouldn't necessarily say I love this movie, but it's one of those ones. It's like so goddamn crazy B-movie ridiculous that you can't help but just like laugh at parts of it. Yeah, I mean, this movie, obviously, you can't watch it and not realize that it's self-aware and it is, like, being ridiculous on purpose. Sure. And it's not taking itself seriously. Um, And this is just the kind of film where a large portion of humanity would watch it and be, like, annoyed or bored or disinterested or just think it's gross and weird or something like that. Mm -hmm. But... This is like there are exploitation and like shitty movies that are horrible, and there's ones that I don't particularly like. But this is the kind of movie that I just I cherish the fact that this movie exists. Um, like it's not a, it's not technically a great film, right. but it's just so fun, and there's just so much life to it, and especially the fact that it was made in an era where there was no such thing as CG. For the most part, and it was—it's right. all practical fucking frog effects, and yeah. Um, I just—I like, love the whole vibe of this movie. It's very varying in the level of frog makeup. Oh yeah. <laughs> well, you, you can, can tell that Bull and Leroy are like the mid grade. 
Like mm-hmm. their mouths just kind of flap and right. they both have like eye coverings so that you right. don't have to see their eyes. Yep. Toady, who is the the leader of them and the main villain, he gets the full effect where his mouth has like much more movement to it and can like enunciate better and his eyes actually look pretty fucking cool and they like blink all the time. Yeah. A lot of the budget went to that one. Yeah, and then you have all the like generic minion frogs who you never really get a good look at and if you I'm sure you noticed but as you'll notice while watching the film, uh you never see them speak. It's always like random mumblings like you hear the ADR lines of them talking mm-hmm. while their backs are to you or something. <laughs> mm-hmm. So yeah, there are definitely three tiers of yeah, of frogmen. <laughs> Just say that. Tears of Frogmen. Three tears of Frogmen. I I have to agree with you that it's like, you know, we're lucky to be in a world where something like this gets made, even if it's not like of that high quality. Mm -hmm. But just for like, you know, the time capsule likeness of it, I guess. Yeah. But just like knowing that this was a film produced by Roger Corman, and of course he is known as the Schlockmeister General, and he you know, never really put much of a budget into anything for the most part. Mm-hmm. Just knowing that this guy, uh, Donald G. Jackson, came to him with this premise and he said yes and gave them some amount of money. You know, the movie doesn't really shoot for the stars. I think for the most part, it looks pretty good. I mean, they, they you know, take the easy path and it's post-apocalyptic so they can just like shoot in deserts for the most part. Yeah. And it's like tongue in cheek, so certain things don't have to look 100% legitimate. And then, you know, they try really hard with the frogs, and they're not necessarily what I would call convincing, but I don't think they're honestly that much more unconvincing than, say, the original Planet of the Apes. Sure. I mean, the I would say, like, the frogs, like, paint-wise and everything is, like, pretty good for what you get. Yeah, they all have that gross glisten on them. Yeah, it's almost like, uh, as I was watching, it almost reminded me of um, Deep Star 6, mm-hmm. back from our original first episode, where they just kind of had like a nice-looking prop that they would flop around. <laughs> yeah. You know, so we got some of that frog action here. Yeah, I mean, this movie, for the most part, it's just... Lots of big, baggy, post-apocalyptic clothing with some Mm -hmm. frog hands and a frog head. (laughs) But, you know, they I think that they make it work, honestly. They do. Um, I wish I can't quite remember, but there's just it's almost worth watching just to see, I think, for the bull, the frog, Mm -hmm. because he goes on like some tirades a couple different (laughs) times. It just made me laugh because his laugh is hilarious, too. Yeah. But oh, this like nuts. this is a movie that, you know, the whole thing is like they're sending this guy. It's like, you know, macho dude. And it's like the majority of the humans we see in the movie are women. And he's sent to rescue these women just to, you know, have sex with them. And it's like, you know, kind of a misogynistic movie. But at the same time, it's like very tongue in cheek. And it doesn't feel to me like it really has any ill intentions. It's just, right. you know, it's a case where. You could never make this movie with this premise and have it be completely socially acceptable. It was never not going to be a cult film. Mm-hmm. But just, you know, this it's like a premise that is just 
in my opinion, fun and makes for a silly fun time. And they just go for it and let the movie be what it is. It's a a goof. Yeah, that's why I can have so much fun with it because it doesn't take itself seriously. But, um, Pilsy, I don't think there's any movie out there that takes itself less seriously than this one. (laughs) Maybe not. For sure. But I mean, in this show. If nothing else, I think that um, the two leads really um, bring it up a level as well. Because Roddy Piper isn't necessarily the best actor in the world, but he is very charismatic and he's just not afraid to like look like an idiot mm-hmm. and make funny facial expressions. And just even if he didn't like this movie after the fact, like he fully committed to it and the premise of it. He's got a great get up in the movie too, which mm-hmm. just a got, good. He's post-apocalyptic look yeah but even if you look back he's even wearing like a frilly like almost like a tuxedo shirt underneath his jean jacket which <laughs> uh-huh. is like pretty hilarious and then uh the female lead is uh her name is spangler in the movie i think uh, her real name is sandal bergman she was in conan the barbarian and red sonia and a couple of other like mm-hmm. you know rugged uh you know female barbarian roles sure, but sure. um uh, very easy on the eyes, and also like, it's just the kind of movie where you imagine being a woman in it, like, per, like playing a character, and like she's kind of the straight man, but in such a ridiculous film, mm-hmm. and just I don't know, I think she sells her part really well. Just is like ha- is in the fun of the movie. Yeah, I'd, I'd say so. I think like I think like you said, uh, Roddy Piper's like so charismatic that I think it's. I feel like the sh- the light is shining on him f- for the whole thing, you know. Sure, but but there's good moments like um, so when they infiltrate uh, Frogtown, their plan is to uh, like dress her up in like tattered rags, uh, handcuffed with um, like a, a chain around her neck that Roddy Piper is dragging her along to make it look like he's like trying to sell her to the frog people as like a way to get in. Mm-hmm. And while he's sitting there, like she's the government person who has the little controller in her earring where she can like shock his genitals if he like gets out of line um and this is in a case now where they have to pretend that he's the dominant one in the relationship so he's taking every chance he can to like take jabs at her and make jokes and stuff and then she's there like kicking him under the table and i think the two of them play super well together in that sequence mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. I just, I like their relationship. I find the two of them very fun together in the movie. Well, there's, there's fun to be had in old frog town mills. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. This is one of those ones where I wasn't sure. I, I had a, a feeling that this was how you were going to feel about it. Cause it's kind of just that kind of in the wheelhouse of these like ridiculous eighties movies, mm-hmm. you know? So no surprise there. And there are movies that are, it's the kind of thing where, I don't know, like, you know, the comic that I created is Mangal, and I've had a lot of people over the years compare it to, like, uh, Sharknado and stuff like that, mm-hmm. which, not to sound pretentious or something, but I feel like that kind of, like, just ridiculous for the sake of being ridiculous story is beneath what I'm trying mm-hmm. to achieve. Mm-hmm. And, um, like, I wouldn't, as ridiculous as this movie sounds, especially people listening to us right now talk about it who haven't seen it and probably don't know what the hell to think. Mm-hmm. Like, I think that this is a step above something <laughs> like Sharknado or like Sharktopus and all of those movies 
because it really does feel like I don't know. It it's like it takes place in such an unusual, peculiar world with like a crazy premise, but there is actual like story and decent filmmaking in here where it doesn't feel like for the the filmmaker this was just like a throwaway joke. Mm-hmm. It feels like he, there was actually a little bit of passion behind it. At least that's the way it comes off to me. Well, I haven't seen Sharknado, so I can't. I mean, neither it, have I. But come on, every like. Soup everything you've ever seen for that movie and all the ridiculous sequels that they make. And you can tell that they're like not trying with the special effects. And <laughs> Yeah. True. True. I mean, who knows? There's, I don't know what the intent of health comes to frog town. It could just been a one long opium trip from <laughs> what I saw, but well, let's talk a little bit about Donald G Jackson. Oh, please. Uh, I tried to dig in on this guy because despite the fact that I saw this movie long ago and have enjoyed it, you know, for the years since then, I never really looked into this dude. Um, So Donald G. Jackson worked in like a factory or something in middle America and wanted to be a filmmaker. So he just like made a bunch of like really low budget independent films to fund him coming out to Hollywood. And he made a whole bunch of movies and was involved in some things over the years in Hollywood. But I believe from the reading that I did, the only like studio film he ever made was this one. Hell comes to Frogtown. Oh, wow. But, uh, you know, he just, there's a guy, I think his name is Scott Shaw and he's Mm -hmm. like some kind of like martial artist, pseudo actor who Donald G. Jackson teamed up with not long after hell comes to Frogtown and the two of them basically just spent the rest of their careers making extremely shitty looking low budget movies that like were direct to video and just played on cable and looked like they were just as much about, you know, sex as they were about, you know, actually being a film, which despite the subject matter of Hell Comes to Frogtown, I would not say is the case with Hell Comes to Frogtown because this movie could have easily had like nude scenes and sex scenes galore. But mm-hmm. for a movie about a guy who's supposed to impreg- like impregnate a bunch of women, uh, there's only one sex scene, and they don't indulge in it. And there's only one nude scene as well. Right, right. But so let me just list off some of the titles of the other films that Donald oh, G. Jackson made in I'm his career. I'm so ready for this. <laughs> and this is just some of them, mind you. Uh, you have The Demon Lover. Mm-hmm. I Like to Hurt People, oh, which boy. I believe is a wrestling film. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Rollerblade 7. I like that. There's a series of Rollerblade 7 movies, by the way. Okay. Pocket Ninjas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Kill Kill Overkill. Baby oh. Ghost. Little Lost Sea Serpent. <laughs> Roller Gator. Toad Warrior, which is apparently unaffiliated with Hell Comes to Frogtown. Okay. Uh, Guns of El Chupacabra. What? Armageddon, <laughs> Armageddon Boulevard. Lingerie Kickboxer. Blade Sisters. And Legend of the Dead Boys with a Z. Millsy? Mm-hmm. I have never heard a finer collection of movie titles. <laughs> and that's just, just some that. of them. How many movies was that you just railed off? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. Okay, I'm gonna need you to go ahead and find another one to get it to fifteen so we can turn that into five episodes. Five episodes. episodes. <laughs> well, yes, please. In addition, 
there is a sequel to Hell Comes to Frogtown called Return to Frogtown that came out in 1993. Uh, None of the original cast returns. Do you know who Robert Zadar is? No. He played like a tough guy in some 80s movies, and uh, the feature that you would recognize about him is that he has gigantism of the jaw. So he's got like a huge, puffy lower jaw. He's in movies like Maniac Cop and like a bunch of like MST3K kind of caliber I can, movies. I can see him as a hired tough. I can I can almost picture him. You you see you're looking at a picture of him? No, but I think I uh what's his name again? Robert Zadar. That's Z apostrophe D A R. He takes over the role of uh Sam Hell in the sequel, which I have not oh, seen. Oh, this guy, yeah. Yeah, I mean, once you see him, everybody will recognize him oh, because yeah. everyone's seen him as a bad guy in a movie before. Mm-hmm. So that guy, Scott Shaw, who's like a martial artist I was talking about, and Robert Zadar, and Joe Estevez, who is uh, Martin Sheen's brother, <laughs> mm-hmm. who who has a history of doing really shitty movies, they're just some of the people that were in like a ton of Donald G. Jackson's films over the years that no one's ever heard of. and. So after Hell Comes to Frogtown, which, again, was like the one kind of sort of studio movie that he ever made, he hooked up with this guy, Scott Shaw, and they created what they called Zen filmmaking. And the reason they made so many of these garbage movies is because none of them had scripts. And what Zen filmmaking is, is they would have a premise and then just go into a scene and just make it up as they went. Like plot lines would just come out of random dialogue that characters happen to come up with in scenes. And that is how they made like 30 fucking movies together. Whoa. So. What the hell? I feel like Hell Comes to Frogtown is probably the cream of the crop of all of those movies I just mentioned. If the titles alone wouldn't dissuade you. Hmm. I don't know. There's some real heat there. <laughs> but yeah, I would love to know more about this guy, but there's not a lot to find like at a quick glance on the internet. I think you need to take a long glance. <laughs> yeah, I may have to dig in sometime, but uh, a do. lot of these movies, I don't know how easy they're going to be to find. <laughs> it's your summer project. <laughs> so, like, overall, like I said, uh, I don't think How Comes to Frogtown is an amazing film, but um, I just have a ball while I'm watching it, and I love the tone and style of it. Right. To summarize... How, what? How would you describe your feelings on the film? Because I still haven't really gotten an idea of if you enjoyed it or not. Um, I'd say I, I'm not crazy about it, but I don't hate it. It's got like that like '80s ridiculous charm that we touch on on the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm certainly not like over over the moon about it or anything. You wouldn't buy a Shout Factory Collector's Edition? No, I wouldn't. (laughs) I gotta say. Oh, that's too bad. One final thing I'll say about this one is, I thought this was interesting. Uh, The director and writer wrote the lead role for Tim Thomerson, who's like another kind of 80s low-budget staple. He was in Iron Eagle, and he was the main character in the Trancers series. Mm-hmm. But New World, Roger Corman's company, put the kibosh on that. They wanted Daniel Stern from Home oh, Alone. Boy. The Wet Bandit? <laughs> yeah, to play the lead. 
But uh, apparently he wanted to make too many changes to the script, so they didn't go with him, and they went with Roddy Piper instead. Oh, all right, all right. Yeah, well, so. What what could have been, Mills? I know. I know. Fascinating stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, so shall we move on to our second film? Oh, yes, please. Okay, so coming up next, we have Abraxas, Guardian of the Universe, from 1990. Binders are required to renew their vows every hundred Earth years. I've renewed my vows about 90 times now. That's right. I've been on the force for almost 10,000 years. What is the law? To defend all life. What is the law? To be loyal to the vow of protection. What is the law? I will have no relationship before my obligations as a finder. Kick around as long as I have, and you're going to see it all sooner or later. Now they're sending me out to bring in Secundus, my ex-partner. He'd gone over the top. An occupational hazard for all finders. We see too much, we're around too long. Finders are the cops of the universe. Occasionally one of us goes renegade. And uh, I'm not going to bury the lead on this one. Uh, I feel like we should, like you established just a minute ago, the uh, the running theme of like what is going to be the most ridiculous movie we've ever watched for this show. Mm-hmm. which right now is sitting at Hell Comes to Frogtown. Mm-hmm. I wonder if you and I wouldn't agree that up until this episode, the worst movie we watched was uh, The Ghoulies, potentially. Oh. Um... The Ghoulies are maybe something in our uh, post-apocalyptic uh, episode. Uh let me think real quick here. Um, because I would like to put forward that the worst film I have personally watched for this show is something called Abraxas Guardian of the Universe. Millsy. Uh-huh. This is why we're such good friends. Because you took the words right out of my mouth. Oh, this thing I, is... I was going to proclaim that Abraxas is hands down the worst movie we've ever watched Yeah, in 18 episodes. This thing is hot garbage. This is a terrible movie. In addition to being unoriginal, having a cast that is not compelling in the least, uh, I mean, I watched this on Amazon Prime, and uh, the copy that they have up there to watch, the video and audio quality is horrendous. The movie is just directed heinously. It is like, it's hardly a movie. (laughs) It is, this is hardly a movie. Like real quick, just looking over the list, I, this is certainly the worst one we watched. There's some real. We've watched some turds, but Abraxas is like uh, an insult to movies. I feel like <laughs> it is so bad for so many reasons. And I actually like Jesse Ventura, mm-hmm. and I feel bad for him that he actually has this movie connected. To him. Man, thing is like. Like I said, he's I I think he's awesome in his small supporting role in Predator as Blaine. Now, mm-hmm. admittedly, in a role like that, he doesn't have a lot of heavy lifting to do, and all he has to do is say one-liners every now and then and shoot sure. a big machine gun. Yeah. But just looking at him in that and, like, mm-hmm. the level of charisma that he brought to that character mm-hmm. and then just the fucking milquetoast, uninteresting 
character that he portrayed in this, and I can't imagine it's all the writing. I think he's just probably a shit actor in general, but he just brings nothing to this movie. He is such a blank slate. He never makes any fucking facial expressions, and no. he's just the worst lead in this. You yeah, and you can't tell if it's at one point it's. I remember thinking like, is the is it the script that's supposed to just have you think that these alien guys are just completely robotic or is it just him as an actor? But then, you know, there's a, they're pretty bad guy too. I mean, they're pretty robotic, but it's just, it's like the bad guy, the the choice to make the bad guy has way more, uh, personality. I, I actually, uh, God, what's his ridiculous name? Sebak, uh, his name in the movie is Secundus. Yeah. Secundus is a great name. Like I'm a big fan of that name, dude. I'm sure you know who, what other movie Secundus has been in. I know many movies he's in, oh, but uh, man, I, I was... did not recognize him as the one. I'm sure you're about to pull until I looked at a list of his filmography, and I was floored that it's the person that you're about. I to I was sure I had seen him before. But his voice was so weird. But I was like, what do I know this guy from? Just today before recording, friggin' LaFours from Mall Rats. Yeah, the mall cop. Unbelievable. Yeah, I had no idea. Um, I like As soon as I read that, I was like, holy shit, that's right, it is him. But never would have guessed. I knew him from that. There was a couple of things. And then uh, I never would have put it together. But he was the... Uh, the undefeated gladiator from the movie Gladiator. Well, let me give you a quick rundown. Uh, the actor's name is Sven Ole Thorson, and he was like a contemporary and friend of Arnold Schwarzenegger back in his weightlifting days and ended up being in a ton of Arnold Schwarzenegger movies as just like tiny parts. Uh, he's uncredited in a lot of things. He plays like just general bad guy, tough guys in a lot of things. But his credits include... Conan the Barbarian, Raw Deal, Lethal Weapon, Predator, The Running Man, Red Heat, Twins, The Hunt for Red October, Terminator 2, Lethal Weapon 3, Last Action Hero, Hard Target, Eraser, Soldier, Gladiator, End of Days, and Collateral Damage. He's been in a ton of stuff. He really has. And like, you know, Terminator 2, Predator, these are movies where I would think I would recognize him, but like Predator, he's an uncredited, like random bad yeah, guy. Stunts or... Uh, yeah. Um, but like, yeah. he's in there. Um but yeah, just like pretty much almost anything Arnold Schwarzenegger was ever in, he was along for the ride, yeah. it seems. He's got a very distinct look. He does. And a very distinct voice, too. Oh, very. Yeah. But um, like he's chewing through gravel. Millsy, give the people just like a two-sentence synopsis. It's really not even worth getting that into it. Uh, It's the Terminator, but if Terminators were alien space cops that are 11,000 years old instead of robots from the near future. And they can get women pregnant by touching them on the belly. Yeah. The short version is that they are, there's like some intergalactic police force and they call them finders, I think. And, uh, Sven Ole Thorson's character, Secundus and Jesse Ventura's character, Braxis used to be partners. And then Secundus decided to go rogue and uh, he comes to Earth and just by touching a woman's stomach can, like, make her pregnant and she'll have the baby within, like, five minutes. Um, so he, like, impregnates this young woman. She has a baby. And he calls that baby the co-mater. I don't know why. 
and he says it in a funny uh, voice that he is his uh, Viking voice or whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, he just can't pronounce it correctly. And so, like, I I don't really fully understand, but for some reason, by using his alien DNA and crossing it with a human DNA, it will create potentially a child that is a quote unquote co-mater. And that child, none of this makes sense, by the way. Like, no, so no. if my explanation doesn't register as anything sensical, it's because the movie makes no sense. But basically, that child then will potentially grow up to know the anti-life equation. And then that's like that gives you like supreme power or something. So he impregnates this woman in the beginning to create like this kid and Abraxas uh like captures him and then like five years later when the kid is like five years old uh Secundus escapes again comes back to earth to collect the kid and similar to Terminator 2 where Arnold comes to stop the T-1000 Abraxas comes to earth to stop Secundus from getting the kid Mm -hmm. and then for about I'm gonna say 38 minutes of the runtime it's uh Jesse Ventura is chasing him through the woods or running through the streets yeah, in a this trench is, coat. This is the fabulous kind of low budget where, like, you know, Hell Comes to Frogtown, the premise is it's post-apocalyptic, and so you can get away with just filming in, like, deserts where, mm-hmm. you know, a, a civilization could have been blown away. But this, it takes place in, like, a small town or something, and just to save money, most of the scenes just take place indoors or in, like, the wooded woods. areas, yeah. I'm pretty sure all the parts that are supposed to be from the alien world are just someone's garage with like some lights hung up in the background or something. Yeah, it's the kind of thing where to give the impression of like the the guys who are in charge of the alien police force or whatever, it's just always like mid body upshots. Like you never see anything below these characters' waists. And they're always leaning over like a console that you never see. You're mm-hmm. just getting the light, like the yellow light coming up on their faces from the console. Mm-hmm. And it's like they filmed in a in a room that's blacked out so you don't have to see like whatever sci-fi alien tech there is. It's just two guys with weird haircuts talking robotically with <laughs> yellow light on their faces. And that mm-hmm. gives the impression of we're in outer space. It's just that kind of fucking low budget, just like the lowest of the low. Yeah. And again, where hell comes to Frogtown, which I seemingly am going to defend to the ends of the earth, um, where that movie has like at least a goofy, fun, semi-original premise, this is just a ripoff of The Terminator. Yeah. Just like up, down, backwards, and forwards. It's, you know, a blonde woman with a kid, so like Linda Hamilton and the John Connor character. Um, and then, you know, big professional wrestler comes to earth and is trying to stop another big dude from getting the kid to fulfill some kind of world ending prophecy. It's, it's just that movie, but shitty times 10. Um, I don't know if this statement will make sense, but this movie came out in 1990. This far and away feels like the oldest nineties movie possible. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it came out on January 1st, 1990. <laughs> right, after it sat on a shelf for 12 years or something. I mean, I was sitting there thinking to myself as I was watching it, like, some of the, like, really corny, forgotten, like, exploitation and low-budget movies that I own on, like, DVD and Blu-ray from, like, Shout Factory or uh, 
or vinegar syndrome mm-hmm. movies that like when I watch them on Blu-ray, I can't believe how good they look considering they're just like forgotten low budget films. I wonder if there is like a print, like an actual film print of mm-hmm. Abraxas out there that they could use as the film elements to like do a, like mm-hmm. a, a 2k or a 4k transfer and make the movie look good because the version that's on Amazon Prime for you to watch is just the fuzziest, oh. darkest, like grungiest looking thing. It's just, it's like, it's hideous. I mean, it like makes me not even want to keep Amazon Prime <laughs> because this yeah. is what they have on there. Like, this is what you're giving me for quote unquote for free. Yeah, like the version that's available to watch on Amazon looks like a sixth generation VHS copy. Um. Uh, and hands down, that's not even an exaggeration. I should have like checked the time, but at one point you can see where like the VH lines like skip and it gets like wavy mm. towards the top. Like yeah. someone just recorded this from a for, off of VCR. Yeah, which again, like that, the the visual quality of the the presentation, you can't really fault the film for. That's why I say, I wonder if this is just so forgotten that like all the original film elements have been destroyed or something be. or they're lost to time and space. Not that this movie is really good enough to be worth doing a new restoration of and like a Blu-ray release or something, uh-huh. but there's some pretty bad movies out there that companies like vinegar syndrome and Severn films have put out uh, right. on Blu-ray. So I could see it happening, but I just wonder if it would even be possible. Yeah. Or why would you bother? I mean, because you've got you've got bad movies. I honestly, I consider "Hell Comes to Frogtown" a bad movie, but it has its charms. Like, many yeah, it's of those it's an enjoyable bad movie. Abraxas is just bad. Yeah, it's just boring. There's no pacing. The story either doesn't make sense or isn't interesting at all times. The acting is atrocious. Like, again, I cannot believe that the guy who played Blaine in Predator mm-hmm. and said, I ain't got time to bleed, is the right. same guy who just looks like a fucking big, bald mannequin in this movie the whole time. Because he's he just looks so stiff. Well, he's and like, he makes no facial expressions. He's like, not even like that he's bald. Or like, he's balding. He's got like male pattern baldness. Yeah, but with like, like the, the super long look. hair on the sides yeah. in the back. With did you notice the little fucking yes, rat tail he has, absolutely. like a braided rat tail? It it only shows its face in like the last ten minutes for sure that I yeah. saw it. Like, if you want to talk about like least intimidating space cop ever, it's yeah, him just, that looks like a substitute teacher. Just like even like uh, I know that um, uh, what's his name, uh, Hulk Hogan, you know. Uh, was like a very popular wrestler during a certain time period, but he had like the whole balding thing and like the stringy long hair. And Mm -hmm. it's like, you would think that you'd look better if you just shaved it or tried to do something with it aside from just like letting it hang down the way that it does. And then Jesse Ventura, I was thinking the same thing. Like, wouldn't he have looked better if they just shaved his head? Like, cause the thing is like by the end of the movie, of course, even though he's like a completely robotic, unlikable alien weirdo from outer space, he gets the girl and they're going to have like a life together. And meanwhile, that one cop character was like trying to win her heart the whole time. And I felt kind of bad for him when Jesse Ventura like gets in the car with her and drives off at the end. And the, the meek cop guy is just like, Oh, well, I guess she's with, the weird alien guy now, mm-hmm. but 
just he looks so stupid with his hair like that. It's terrible. It's terrible. I mean, he's really like he's running around throughout this entire movie. And there's one point where he's I don't know, he gets like normal clothes some some from somewhere. But he just like he's wearing like dad jeans running down the street and he's wearing like a tan trench coat. Mm-hmm. Who knows why? It even honestly daylight. reminds me a little bit of the gray trench coat that Arnold Schwarzenegger wears in the first Terminator film. Uh, I don't know, but it just doesn't look nearly as cool because he looks so stupid. Yeah, running around with a world gym shirt on. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what it was. Um, you know, you keep like blinging up like Blaine from Predator. Like, I think he really is awesome in that role. Yeah, like he's great, and it doesn't even make sense that that's like. You know, what's that like? What year did Predator come out? 88? 87, I think. Or no, no. It doesn't even. Uh, 80. No, yeah, it's 87. Aliens is 86. Predator is 87. It doesn't even make sense how Abraxas could somehow be newer than Predator. I mean, this movie looks and feels like a shitty made for television movie. It may have been. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, I find it hard to imagine this getting a theatrical release as bad as it is. Just none of it. None of it makes sense. No. And like the the lead actress is terrible, uh, completely unbelievable. Uh, mm-hmm. Fun fact about her is that uh, she was married to Jim Belushi mm. at the time between the years of 1990 and right. 1992, which is why he makes a one scene cameo in this as a high school prince or a elementary school principal. Yes, and I said, well, I, I literally like double took, like double take. What is Jim Belushi doing in here? <laughs> and then he never comes back. Yeah. Sure enough, uh, now it all makes sense. So then I looked up her filmography because I was like, she can't have been in anything else. And um, she's in like seven or eight things. All but like two of them are Jim Belushi starring vehicles that she just had cameos in. So I guess this was him returning the favor and doing a cameo in the shitty movie she starred in. Ouch. But uh, she was in About Last Night, Red Heat, K-9, Homer and Eddie, Taking Care of Business, and Abraxas with Jim Belushi. And they were only together for two years, <laughs> or at wow. least married for two years. Mm-hmm. She was his second wife. Man, it's just bad. It's, it's just, just bad. the worst. Oh, you know what? You know what is like so glaringly horrible too is the music in this oh, movie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Millsy, how did it? Is he? How did it even happen? It's like terrible, like knockoff kind of jazz mm-hmm. throughout the entire thing. Yeah, it just feels like um, Muzak, like it's what they could afford or something. <laughs> they yeah. do have that one pop song that weirdly plays during the climax. It's like yes. a like a 80s pop song. Yes. Um, and I read somewhere that that song was actually used in the Michael Mann movie, uh, was it Manhunter, a couple years before this? Mm. And then they okay. basically just requisitioned it and used it for themselves. Another huge failure of a movie like this is you have big... Sven Ole Thorsen, who's like, you know, action movie bad guy, big dude, like bodybuilder. And then you've got Jesse Ventura, who's a professional wrestler. Like his day job was pretending to fight people. And the fight scenes in this are atrociously bad. Yeah. Um, They're They're filmed horribly. Yeah. Everything is like close-ups in slow-mo and then like weird upshot canted angles so that people could just roll out a frame and look like they were thrown or something. Mm-hmm. It's just the most boring action. Like it always baffles me 
when an action movie has action this bad, because the whole point of making the movie is not like some great plot. It's to show action. And then the action is this terrible. It doesn't even make sense. It boggles the goddamn mind. (laughs) While someone, multiple people could let this happen. Yeah, I mean, I could rag on this forever, but... uh... (laughs) Yeah, I mean, this should be a MST3K episode. Uh, Rift Tracks has done it. Uh, It's never been on MST3K, but easily could have been. There we go. Uh, Before we move on, a couple of quick little anecdotes that I found out about this movie. Um, So we made fun of Jesse Ventura's horrible hairstyle, if that's what you want to call it. Mm-hmm. I read that he actually shaved his mustache bespe- specifically for this film, which begs the question, why didn't he just shave his head if he was willing yes. to do the mustache? Good point. The kid who played the lead kid, Tommy, uh, who, who had the easiest acting job in the world because he was supposed to be like mute, so he never talks. Mm-hmm. Um, he was in one television show in the year 2000 after this, and now he is a TV producer, director. Um, but never really acted again because the one TV show he did, he was like the host of some reality show or something. Mm. Okay. This this movie was actually offered to Arnold Schwarzenegger, who turned it down to do Terminator 2 instead in the smartest decision ever in film history. <laughs> and uh. the one part of the movie that I actually laughed at because it was... There's no way that it was intended to be funny, but I just thought it was hilarious. Uh, so the police, the two police officers, just like small town cops, have had a run in with uh, Secundus and Abraxas already when Secundus takes that woman hostage in the street and then gets away on the motorcycle. Mm-hmm. So they run into him later just walking down the street and uh, they like pull their guns on him and he says to them, my flesh can handle your weapons. <laughs> and yes. then the yes. smaller cop goes, oh. how about this one? And whips out an Uzi. Man. What Milsey. cop has an Uzi? <laughs> Milzy, that's how you know this is the 80s. Because people just pulling Uzis out of nowhere. Uh, I know. that's It's a stereotype. That, but I just completely unexpected. I uh, laughed out loud at that. I laughed out loud so hard when that happened. <laughs> what about this one? And then Uzi. it's just unexplained completely. They never bring it up again either. Yeah, no. It's like, where did he get that? Like, that's not like a police issue. I don't believe that that guy would just personally own an Uzi. So did he like pull it out of the evidence locker? And what criminal in that like nice little late 80s, early 90s small town would have had an Uzi for them to requisition? Like, it just does not make (laughs) sense. It's hilarious. But it was the 80s, man. I'm telling you, you look back, they're everywhere. Yeah, that is true. Abraxas. Oof. Yeah. Uh, I would avoid this movie at all costs. And yeah. you know that I like some bad movies, but mm-hmm. this is just like badder than bad. Mm-hmm. Just, uh, it's gutter trash is what it is. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's no other way to put it. <laughs> I, I mean, like you said, bearing lead, avoid. Yes. At all costs. <laughs> so shall we move on to our third and final film? Yes, please. Coming in last, we have Doom from 2005. There's a storeroom to the south. It's got like 20 people holed up inside of it. We gotta do something. Your orders were to clear that sector. Is it cleared? No, I told them to stay put. 
They're okay. They're just scared shitless. We kill them all. Let God sort them out. This is wrong. I, I think... It's Son! You don't think! That's an order. We're in the field, soldier. Sarge, if nothing's found on you will. Obey the direct order of your commanding officer. No. Now. Go to hell. Based, of course, on the classic first-person shooter video game. Yeah, the the first-person shooter. Mm-hmm. Uh, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson, Carl Urban, and Rosamund Pike. Was this The Rock's, like, first big movie role? Uh, he was in the Scorpion King stuff, like oh, the right, right, right. Mummy 2 before this. Okay. His first, his first ever speaking role. <laughs> his first ever acting role I just recently found out was on an episode of uh that 70s show. Oh, in like 1997, I think. Okay. Okay. But yeah, this was early. It was like 2-3 films in for him. You know, it's he's in this movie a lot, but uh Carl Urban is technically the star, but this would be probably the closest thing to his first starring vehicle. Mm. Though he does eventually turn into the villain in this one. Right. Which is like the only thing I remember from seeing this movie. This is another one of those movies where all I remembered were some images in my mind. Like, couldn't have told you really anything else about it. Right. So, back when you first saw this, you said you saw it like back when it came out? Yeah, I'd say so. Uh, What were your feelings on it then? Do you recall? Like, what has your mind frame been about this movie over the past... uh, you know, decade and a half. Uh, I think I just thought it was like forgettable. Another bad video game adaptation. Mm-hmm. You know. I had the resounding memory that I thought the movie was terrible. Like watched it and just like hated it from my mm-hmm. recollection. And maybe it's because of that. You know, I didn't love this movie by any means, but it was definitely better than I remembered. Milsey, I got to agree. This this episode's three bad movies <laughs> in my eyes, but I I thought it was like not nearly as bad as I thought it was. Yeah, it's for sure pretty formulaic. Um, it just feels like another movie that is just like ripping off the colonial marines from aliens, mm-hmm. and in an annoying way. You know, it's them trying to take the concepts from a video game and turn it into something with an actual plot and like some semblance of logic, which ends up just feeling kind of ham fisted and overdone. Like, you know, this could just be simple action movie, but then they have to have all the backstory about like the proto humans on Mars and everything, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. which for all I know may even be from the games. I'm not really, I believe this one is supposed to be based on doom three, which maybe that's what the story is. And I played doom three, but the story is not the thing I remember about it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Fair enough. There's a lot more practical effects than this than I ever would have remembered or guessed. Yeah, same here. Which uh, I did I did find myself enjoying that. Actually. Yeah, I mean, the majority of the creatures 
you don't get a really good look at a lot of them. It's primarily like shot in darkness and shadows. Mm-hmm. It, but because of that, I did take notice like, oh, this is a lot of like practical creatures and they're using that to like potentially make them look better and hide the seams and everything. Yeah. But I would have guessed that this was like much more CG heavy than it is. And actually, I end up watching like a behind the scenes about the creatures. Mm-hmm. And not that I know really anything about filmmaking, but the way it was shot certainly does not look nearly as dark as the actual final film is. So I think that was done like in post color correction. Yeah, because it's most of the scenes you see, like you can see a lot hmm. versus the movie is very dark. It's hard to even follow at times. Yeah, especially when they're like in the tunnels and everything. Yeah, it's a lot of just, like, guys running around in tunnels or corridors back and forth to different things. Yeah, it's just everything looks like stainless steel. The movie is very, like, cool, like, silver and blue colors. Everything Mm -hmm. is shrouded in darkness, and it's just, like, wet, drippy tunnels and, like, super clean, sleek-looking medical labs and uh, just... It has that kind of... I don't even know how to quantify it and put it into words, but I feel like if you look at sci-fi technology in movies from like the 80s and even especially in the 70s as well um things had a much more like complicated lived in feel and eventually at some point it became the going belief that for things to look futuristic they have to be super sleek and simple and that's kind of the feeling that this has yeah for sure like all of the sets of like the medical labs and like the the installation on mars all look like they're from some like you know somebody went into ikea with a ton of silver spray paint cans and just painted mm-hmm. everything silver mm-hmm. it does have a lot of like made like big made sets and everything and mm-hmm. creatures so i did i do commend it for that for being like 2005 whereas like blatant horrible cgi everywhere yeah and i think that the practical nature of it is the thing that mostly I liked about it this time and, you know, made me come around on it a bit because, you know, also at the time, you know, I probably knew who the rock was, but he didn't have much of a film career. I wouldn't have come to the point where I was enjoying him because of his movies yet. So didn't really give a shit about him. I'm Mm -hmm. sure I had no clue who Carl Urban was at the time. Not that I'm like the biggest fan of Rosamund Pike in the world, but I'm sure I didn't know who she was. She didn't know the one person I might have recognized, but I doubt that I did at the time, was Soap from Lockstock and Two Smoking Barrels, is the right. uh, the dude missing the lower half of his body. Right. Then there's the one guy on the Rocks team that was Joe Chill in Batman Begins. Yeah, I knew I recognized him, but had no idea from where. S- same. I had to look that up. But it's, it's from that and something else. Oh, um, that Rob Zombie 31 movie. Uh, I never he's, saw that. Oh, he's in that too. I knew I cause I'd seen that recently. So he looks like he belongs in Rob Zombie movies. Yeah, for he's sure. He's just got like that gross, slimy, <laughs> stringy look to him. Right. Uh, Millsy, you're going to hate this comparison, oh, but I'm going to make it anyway. Watching this movie reminded me of your beloved movie. Um, Escaping me right now. Don't this keep remi- me in suspense like this. This, this, rem- this reminded me of Deep Rising. Oh, <laughs> why, why you gotta do me like that? Well, just with like the team of guys that's like undesirables, like showing up on a thing that 
is just, you know, everyone knows and deals, you know, it's just normal run, you know, everyday situation until it goes sideways. And it's just like the story beats of it. I was like, it just felt like deep rising. I was like, oh, Millsy's going to hate me for this one. But- yeah, but this was missing the lovable Joey character. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I mean, I guess I can kind of see it because it is like a team of like annoyingly macho guys. <laughs> right, right. But um, it pains me to say that even. <laughs> now, I actually thought The Rock wasn't half bad in this. Yeah, um, he's all right. He actually does, he, he's got a lot more to do than I really like remembered, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's Sarge. He's the guy in charge. He just basically barks orders yeah. at everybody and looks angry yeah. all the time, which he's is you know good yeah. enough at doing he can he can handle um you know carl urban's like one of those guys that i like him because he's like in lots of sci-fi stuff mm-hmm. you know and i like appreciate that like he's i mean he's fine and i mean this again he doesn't have much of a character or much to do besides yell and run around and shoot stuff yeah he's an interesting case where it's like i'm i'm not sure if he's like leading man material or just relegated to like, you know, side characters and like genre movies. But, you know, he's, he's been in a couple Lord of the Rings films and Mm -hmm. he's, uh, you know, he's bones in the Star Trek movies and I like him a lot in that. But then at the same time, like I forgot until recently that he was in Thor Ragnarok as Scourge, which is like a kind of sort of forgettable character who really never feels like they did a whole lot with him in the movie. And, I loved him as Judge Dredd myself. Oh, right. Uh, how did I forget about that? So, um, yeah, that is like, you know, he could have done 90 other shitty movies and I would still love him for that. Mm-hmm. Well, he was in uh, Chronicles of Riddick, so there's one of the <laughs> shitty movies. Fair enough. But, um, yeah, I, I mean, I I like him in this. Um, I feel like I like him in general. He He has a likability to him. Yeah, I think so, too. And he's like not afraid to be in like fun sci-fi genre stuff, which I like that. Yeah, just like outside of something like Judge Dredd, where it's so much of like a, you know, a, I don't even know how to put it, but like he's really putting on a character in that, and just like the extreme scowl and like never showing his face and just being like a force to be reckoned with. Like past something like that, I'm not sure if he's exactly leading man material, but I mean, he is technically the lead in this, although he feels like he's sharing a co-lead with The Rock. And Yeah, I'd say so. You know, for a movie like this, which isn't great, I think that he's he maybe brings it up a notch or two. They did want The Rock as his character. Yeah, but he decided to play... Um, Sarge, Sarge because he thought it gave him more to do or something. Yeah, which so I feel like if it could have been different if he was actually in that role, but whatever. Do you know who else turned down the lead role? I don't. And it would have been really fascinating if he had played it because of where their careers would have intertwined later, but Vin Diesel turned down the lead role in this. Oh, wow. Yeah. And I looked it up. I had a sneaking suspicion this movie came out right in that brief time period between the first Fast and the Furious and the fourth mm. one, where he like thought he was going to be a real dramatic actor for a yeah. while, and then he yep, gave yep. up and went back to doing just like action movies. Because mm-hmm, mm-hmm. this yeah, movie right. came out like right around the same time as that uh, Find Me Guilty movie, where oh, he played like man. a mob informant or something. Yeah, spot on, Millsy. 100%. Yeah. <laughs> he was trying. He was trying to not be typecast. 
Yeah, if this movie came out two years later or two years earlier, then Vin Diesel would have been the mm-hmm. lead role with The Rock oh, in there. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, I thought it was funny. I read that Simon Pegg and Edgar Wright were asked to uh, do a dialogue polish on the movie, and they turned it down. Oh, oh, I could have used that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's just I, I think, you know. The movie has a very of-its-time look. It just reminds me of things like Jason X, like just that yeah. sleek, dark, stainless steel look to everything, mm-hmm. which I don't find super appealing. No. It's got no, it's, this also has a terrible soundtrack. Yeah, just like a lot of obnoxious, in-your-face, like, metal like cr- songs. Crunchy, like, new metal-sounding junk. Yeah, and it ends with, like, a some kind of gross remix of a Nine Inch Nails song. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of that. No. Um, and, like, just the characters aren't particularly amazing for the most part. And just, I don't know, I have a real thing, probably because I'm such a big fan of aliens. I have a real thing against, like, these kind of generic, like, soldier guys in movies that are just, mm-hmm. like, making crass jokes to one another all the time. Because I feel right. like it, maybe just because aliens did it close to first and probably the best like everything yeah, else feels sure. like it pales in comparison right it's just, and very just one note like this movie is just a bunch of excuses to have like tough looking guys like shooting monsters and things mm-hmm. but like there's just not anything to the premise or the plot that makes it interesting like mm-hmm. all of that work that they do trying to get across the story of like you know the gateway to hell on Mars and everything is just like not super compelling yeah it's so lost. like, and, and the movie's just hard to follow. It's too damn dark. Yeah. And so, like, you know, while I now don't feel like I hate it anymore, I'm more on board with what you were saying, where it just feels like a kind of forgettable generic mm-hmm. movie. But, uh, like, now I don't feel the ire that I once did towards yeah. it for some reason. Yeah, I, I really hated it that first time I watched it. Yeah, I feel like... Well, it was such a like it was a different time in 05, of course, but it was like coming off of yeah, I feel like as soon as like The Matrix hit in 99 is when it really like changed action movies and oh, sci-fi and everything. 100%. Every anyone would agree with that, so it's like this and this was like enough years later where people were just putting out shitty trash again. Mm-hmm. So, I feel like I feel like if I could look on a calendar for 05, there's a lot of junk in the same kind of in the same field as this one. That is surely true. That made me hate it too. But I, again, watching it this time, I didn't, I wouldn't say I hated it because I just enjoyed seeing so much practical stuff, like stuff I could clearly tell was practical, mm-hmm. you know, and then actually checked later. So also, was, did you know good. that Doug Jones was in some of the costumes yeah. in this? Yeah. That, that behind that feature I watched had him uh, quite prominently. So I was pretty excited oh, to see nice. that. Yeah, I thought that was pretty cool when I saw his name in the credits. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have to tackle, I'm surprised it hasn't come up yet, the first-person sequence. Oh, yes. Your favorite part. You know, it might be, actually. Uh, I, yeah. Millie, I'm going to agree with you again, because I, when it came time, and I was like, oh, here it comes, here it comes. And then it's over, and I was like, man, that wasn't actually that bad. Like, you know, it actually looked pretty good. Yeah. And, you know, it's, like, really kind of corny, but as an homage to the video game, I think that's 
pretty fucking cool. Like, I can yeah. imagine someone who didn't even know that this was a video game watching the movie and being like, what the fuck is happening? Right. But if you know that it comes from the video game, and I would imagine a lot of people who saw this movie saw it because of the video game. Mm-hmm. I think it's a neat little thing to throw in there. <laughs> it kind of it is, and it seems like it's like quite a feat to like pull it off. Yeah, I read that it took them fourteen days to film that sequence that lasts wow. what like ninety seconds in the movie. Yeah, oh, wow. I mean, it is. It's not like super quick, so it, it is a good amount of a scene. But yeah, yeah. It's, in the end, it's not that long. Yeah, and I mean, you know, these days you could do all of that scene in CG and just pull it off. Right, but the, right. you know, a lot of it pr- was probably done practically and having to like mix shots to make it look seamless and everything. I actually did like it because that sequence is actually brighter than the rest of the movie, so you can really <laughs> see a lot of the creatures. Yeah. yeah. And just neat stuff like, uh, yeah, that that uh, creature that Soap from Lockstock turns into, where uh-huh. he's got, like, the wheelchair legs, but then he's, like, some kind of pig monster up front, like, right. kind of neat looking, an extended sequence fighting that and decent lighting. Yeah, I'd, Honestly, I think that was a highlight of the movie for me. It was the first person sequence. Yeah. I wouldn't want to watch the whole movie like that, but <laughs> yeah. When time comes, I was like Although was funny actually... thing, have you ever seen Hardcore Henry? That is an I entire have... movie in first person. <laughs> I I have not, probably for that reason. Uh and I like that movie too. I own it. <laughs> I think that um... they did, they did it well and it's one of those cases where okay, someone did it. It worked surprisingly well. Now if we can just avoid like 17 copycat movies coming out and doing the same thing. I think we're good with just one of them. My man, Millsy. Gotta love it. <laughs> man, I didn't have a digital code of that I could send you. I'll have to double check. <laughs> All right. Feels like a movie you need to watch. Okay, fair enough. Uh, man, are there three movies that all take place in first person I can make a oh, triple threat episode out of? Jeez. Uh, Imagine but, that. Yeah, compared to the potential highlight of the movie for me, which is the first person sequence, I actually think... A low point of the movie for me is the hand-to-hand combat fight scene at the end with The Rock and uh, Carl Urban. Yeah. It's There's just one of those of, like, things. I had wire stuff there. Yeah. It's just one of those things I've complained about before with movies where it bugs me when a movie is one thing for the entire runtime and then it feels like they take a drastic turn in the ending. The classic example I always give is the movie Con Air. The entire thing is revolved around an airplane, and then the final action scene takes place on a uh, fire engine speeding through the streets of Los Angeles, and it's just (laughs) like all of a sudden it doesn't feel like the same movie anymore for five minutes during the climax. Mm -hmm. And this movie is all about like soldiers fighting monsters and shooting machine guns, and then at the end it's just like a generic action movie like hand-to-hand combat scene. Yeah. Something about that turned turned me off. The only part of that I liked was I thought that actually the rock's makeup looked kind of cool when he started to turn into a creature. Mm. I liked the way it ended with him getting uh, shoved through the portal and then throwing the grenade through and blowing him up. I thought that was kind of uh-huh. fun. But I agree. Just the scene in general was kind of a low point for me, especially coming right after the first person part, which I liked because it was in line with the rest of the movie where it was like a gun shooting monsters. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, no. you know, they had The Rock, a professional wrestler in there, so they had to have the hand to hand combat scene, yeah. I'm sure, I was because waiting of that. for him to get a rock bottom or a people's elbow. So at least they didn't do that. <laughs> yeah. But, um. Yeah, n- not super strong feelings about this movie, but uh, no. definitely not as bad as I once thought it was. I, I'd have to agree completely. 
Uh, director of this movie is a guy named, I imagine his name is pronounced Andre, uh, mm-hmm. but there's a Z in there. <laughs> so mm-hmm. uh, Andre Bartkowiak, Bartkowiak, something like he's, that. He's made some movies you like, Millsy. Uh, which, which ones? <laughs> Uh, hold on. Let me uh, pull up real quick. I mean, I have a list of some movies he made. I'm not sure if you're being facetious or not, but no, he, I wasn't. He he, he made, directed uh... Romeo Must Die, Exit Wounds, yeah. and Cradle to the Grave. <laughs> That's what it was. That's what it was. Yeah, you love Romeo Must Die. I mean, I saw it in the theater, and I don't have I don't remember a whole lot about it. But oh. I mean, I guess I thought it was cool at the time that when Jet Li would like punch somebody in the spine they would do like an x-ray to show the bones breaking on the inside (laughs) because that's the kind of movies they were making in the early 2000s Uh uh-huh yeah he's known more as a cinematographer he has worked on movies such as uh the verdict terms of endearment twins falling down species dante's peak u.s marshals lethal weapon four and triple threat theater film the devil's advocate oh he's a busy guy Mm mm-hmm uh, this film had two writers. One of them uh, gave us films such as Arachnophobia, the Martin Scorsese remake of Cape Fear, Batman Returns, uh, The Saint with Val Kilmer, and the remake of A Nightmare on Elm Street from a few years ago. Oh, interesting. The other writer, this is fascinating to me. So the the guy who did Arachnophobia was is Wesley Strick. Mm-hmm. The other writer is a guy named David Callahan. Now, he wrote or was involved in the writing of the recent the Godzilla movie with Brian Cranston. Okay. Uh, he has a writer credit on The Expendables, although I was doing some reading about that, and it sounds like there was some kind of lawsuit, and people are trying to claim that he actually didn't write The Expendables. I don't fully understand that, but uh, okay. most noteworthy, had a hand in writing Ant-Man. Oh. And is the lead writer, the main screenwriter for Wonder Woman 1984 and the upcoming Shang-Chi and Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse 2. Holy shit. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Out of the blue. Dude who brought us doom also bringing us Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse 2 and Shang-Chi and Wonder Woman 1984. He's like head writer on these things. Yeah, he's like the writer. I remember hearing about him recently. Like he wrote Wonder Woman 1984. That's like you know in production or whatever. Um, and then it was announced like when the news came out a while back that Marvel was going to fast track a Shang Chi movie. I guess he is Asian, and their whole mm-hmm. thing is like we want Shang-Chi to be an Asian character, and it's going to be a mostly Asian cast, and we want an Asian director and an Asian writer. Gotcha. And then how he became involved with Spider-Verse 2, I don't know. But he's like, you know, at least for now. Spider-Verse 2 is probably a couple years off because of all the CG and everything. But, like, he is the writer at this moment for Spider-Verse 2. All right, then. Yeah. Well, that was interesting. I wasn't expecting that one. (laughs) I was not expecting it either. (laughs) And final tidbit about this movie. They made two, uh, like, physical BFGs for the film. Mm Mm-hmm. And uh, Dwayne Johnson kept both of them. Oh. So. I thought the weapons actually were pretty good in this movie, so. I liked the fact that each soldier had his own weapon, like his own type of weapon. Yeah. Yeah. 
it honestly felt a little bit like a video game, how every character, they want them to have like different perks and unique things about them. So mm-hmm. each guy had a kind of specific look and a specific type of weapon. You couldn't tell who was using what, but yeah, they had them. I, not memorable enough for me to really know, aside from the big black guy had the minigun. But <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Same here. So. All right. I think that about covers it. Yeah, I think so. Shall we uh, talk about the posters for these fine oh, films? Yes, please. Hell Comes to Frogtown. There are two primary posters out there. We settled on the one that I am more familiar with, which is mm-hmm. um, it's like Roddy Piper standing there and uh, the female lead kind of in lingerie kneeling beside him with her arm around his leg in kind of a Star Wars Army of Darkness homage type of thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although I guess Army of Darkness would have come after this, I think. This poster is so ridiculous, <laughs> but it just fits the movie perfectly. Yeah. Like it matches the tone completely. Yeah, it's a bunch of frog guys in the foreground pointing guns at them. Roddy Piper just standing there in the middle. Mm-hmm. And it is some form of, of painting or airbrush thing. It's not an actual photo, I don't think. No. It yeah, no, like it's definitely airbrush. a painting. And then you got what's his name frog up there in the clouds. Yeah, I would have thought that that would be um, Toadie, the one in charge, but that's actually Bull, the bullfrog, because he's got I, the eye patch. I'd say Bull was far more interesting. <laughs> yeah, um, with the tagline "A new breed of enemy has taken over the world," Sam Hell has come to take it back. <laughs> Hell comes to Frogtown. I would say the weirdest decision on this poster was making the title logo purple purple? and darker purple yes it looks like the font and the the layout the design of it looks like it it should be like a saved by the bell title or something (laughs) yeah it also just like the placement and the size of it makes it feel like they didn't take the title placement into account when they made the poster and just had to kind of (laughs) squeeze it in there because it is so perfectly squeezed Uh between like Roddy Piper's feet, the frogs on either side, and the credits on the bottom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100% Mills. Good eye. But uh, yeah, in general, I I like this. It's, it feels like it's just as goofy as the movie deserves. Again, like, if you telling me this movie, me thinking this movie was a joke, and then seeing this poster, it would be like, yeah, well, someone just threw that poster <laughs> together to continue with the joke on me. There's no way this <laughs> yeah, is Yeah, like, they made, someone made this up and posted it on Reddit or something. Right. Hey, man, you never know these days. Somebody sent me a link just the other day to the trailer for a movie called Velocipaster. (laughs) About apparently a pastor who is a velociraptor. I don't know. Was that on the list of movies you told me earlier? (laughs) No, that was not a movie made by uh, Donald G. Jackson. Oh, man, too bad. But yeah, in general, I like this poster. It's just got that like old school painted vibe, oh, yeah. like just lights, lots of like shining beams of sunlight coming out from behind majestic Roddy Piper with his shirt open. Mm-hmm. All right, what do we got next? Uh, next we've got Abraxas, and I think I can easily say that the best thing about the movie is this poster. <laughs> yeah, I mean, th- not that the poster tells you much. But it clearly portrays uh, both main characters. Yeah. It is funny the facial expression they decided to give Secundus. <laughs> it looks like he's taking a shit after he ate some like spicy food. <laughs> like, what a yeah. look on his face. It, it, it is It is a weird, weird choice. But this maybe one's they just like had a, the one photo. Yeah. 
this one's like a purple star field with it's I don't I don't know what you'd call this, but it's that technique where it's like a person's face and then where the shadows would be on their face. It's like blending into the background. So like mm-hmm. the shadows turn into the star field. Yeah. Uh, also very obviously airbrushed because mm-hmm. of those like beams of shiny metallic light yeah. at the bottom and right. that beautiful chrome logo. Oh, yeah. All day. Uh, why one of Jesse Ventura's eyes is turning pink and shooting a laser beam? I don't know, because it definitely doesn't happen in the movie. Because <laughs> it looks good, baby. <laughs> And uh, I really think that the tagline, an adventure across time and space, is pushing it a little. Yeah. yeah. Because That's uh, that's some wishful thinking right there. Yeah. There is more space on this poster than there is in the movie. Because as we said, the only (laughs) real impressions you get of outer space is like two guys in a dark room with some yellow light shining on their faces. Yeah. It certainly should have been like the shitty forest behind Jesse Ventura's mom's house that he runs through (laughs) in the entire movie. Yeah, but just like Jesse Ventura looks kind of badass on this until you look mm-hmm. at the sides of his head and realize he's got male pattern baldness and they didn't try and hide it. Right. Uh, he does have one hell of a chin dimple, though, and you got to give him credit oh, yeah. for that. Yeah, that thing's hardcore. But uh, yeah, I don't know. I like this one, too. It's, yeah. uh, it's, a, it's it. a beautiful yeah. piece of art, whether or not it right. really represents the movie at all. I mean, it is like that other kind of like thing from the 80s where it's like, dog shit movie but a great poster like, yeah like, i do enjoy that and this one it just has a bob peak vibe to it like the guy who did all the old uh star wars movie or uh not star wars um star trek movie posters oh, yeah. with just like the those beams of like the shimmer yeah coming off of everything that fortress of solitude looking yeah you know, the ice field mm-hmm Yes, I agree. I I would not be surprised, honestly, if it turned out that this was a Bob Peak painting. <laughs> uh, I'm going to oh, have to look into that in yes. my own free time. <laughs> Please do. And then finally, uh, you and I went back and forth a lot. Like Sometimes it's honestly a lot harder than you would think, especially with movies from like the 90s and 2000s, I feel, to determine which of the posters you can find on like Google <laughs> is the actual theatrical movie poster. Yeah, we try and stick to that, but these companies would make tons of posters that don't look anything like each other. Yeah. So 100%. it's hard to even tell what was what and who was who. This movie basically for Doom has three different types of posters. One which I believe is like the home video advertising and box art where it's just a shot of the rock with Carl Urban and somebody else kind of peeking out from behind him down a hallway. Mm-hmm. Then there's one, which I don't mind. I think it was a teaser poster. That's the determination we came to, which is like a first-person view of a gun with a monster like in the distance. And then, you know, I don't, I'm not sure what process we use to determine this, but the one that we are reviewing is it looks like a metal door that is turning into a monster's face, and there's like bright yellow light coming out from the, the cracks in the door. Yeah. Yeah, it's not even like it's coming through the door, or I guess that's what they're trying to say. But I don't know. It looks like the door's turning into the monster. It's just bad. Uh, with the tagline, no one gets out alive, which is pretty generic and not super indicative of the film. Painfully generic. Yeah. And just doesn't have like the vibe of the movie because it's so it's such warm colors with all the red and the yellow mm-hmm. at the bottom. Mm-hmm. Whereas the movie, like we talked about, is very steely blue yeah. feeling. This is certainly the clearest look of any monster in the movie. Oh, yeah, yeah. You, you don't see anything as clearly as you do on this no. poster in the film. No. 
I'm going to give it to Abraxas myself. Yeah, that's easily the best piece of art. Mm-hmm. And I do just love the fact that it doesn't really represent the film in any way. <laughs> right. Uh, it's probably the best one. Like, But if I had to choose one to hang on my wall, it would 100% be Hell Comes to Frogtown, just because I want people to walk in and see uh, that and go, what the fuck is that? I would expect no less. <laughs> yeah. Um, easily, Doom is the worst fucking one. Yeah, for sure. Just boring. like H- Hands down. Yeah. The other two feel like they were created by an artist. That one feels like it was workshopped by 73 people in an office, and then they just kind of compromised and put this shit out. Mm-hmm. All right. Buy, borrow, burn time? It is about that time, friend. Uh, you know that I waver sometimes, but I know exactly what I'm doing this time. If you'd mm, like me to go it. first. Please. Abraxas, if you couldn't tell from the review, is one of the worst movies I've ever seen, much less one of the worst movies we've ever reviewed for this show. Uh, it, you know, it deserves to be forgotten. <laughs> But I'm not saying I wouldn't give it a second chance on Blu-ray from Shout Factory. So I'm leaving that ball in their court. Really? But this movie is super, super hot. Superheated garbage is what this is. What makes you want to buy it, though? I I don't really want to buy it. I would just love to see what this movie could look like if it got, like, an HD uh, upgrade. All right. I just, I'm curious more than anything to know... If it's possible for this movie to look not like somebody found it at a yard sale. Curiosity kills, Milzy. I know. Well, I'm not going to give this movie a chance to kill me because I'm uh, launching it into the sun, Joe Daxberger style. Very good. Right where it belongs. (laughs) Doom, like I said in the review, at this point, I neither love nor hate it. It is just another film that, uh, you know, Mm -hmm. now that we've done it for this show probably will never watch again so there's that right right hell comes to Frogtown. i yearn for the day that a, a small boutique <laughs> distributor puts out a blu-ray of this movie mm-hmm. uh so that i can own it and proudly display it on my shelf because this movie it, it, i feel like this movie gets me in a way that many people don't i have to agree <laughs> uh for as like uncouth and just kind of weird and bizarre and you know maybe in a man in a minor way sexist it is uh i just find this movie so enjoyable in how unabashedly ridiculous it is mm-hmm. i mean I like it. it's fucking roddy piper in the post-apocalypse with like a futuristic military chastity belt that can <laughs> blow his dick off if he doesn't do what the military says True. Come who, on. And he fights frog people. Oh, I love it. <laughs> I love it. Oh, I like your style, son. <laughs> Lay it on me. All right. I mean, it's no denying Abraxas gets the sun treatment. <laughs> For sure. Now, watching Doom and Hell Comes to Frogtown, two movies I don't find either to be great. So I'm thinking for the, you know, for this show, I'm like, well, which one? Do I dislike less? <laughs> Which one is the most good? <laughs> <laughs> right. So, you know, Doom, it's generic. There's, you know, there's a couple actors I like, which the performances are like fine, I guess. It certainly gains points for all the uh, practical effects, which then 
points get taken away because you can't see a goddamn thing in the movie. Mm-hmm. Action is whatever. It's very 2005. Hell Comes to Frogtown is ridiculous, like over the top. I certainly, yeah, like I said in the review, like I started to like it more when the frog showed up because I could really <laughs> almost do without the, just like the overbearing kind of like porno script of the <laughs> beginning. But in the end, I will borrow Doom. It's unanimous. Hell comes to frog. Hell comes to frog town is the best movie to star a wrestler. <laughs> I did enjoy. I mean, it it really was like because I, you more than me, Milzy can really appreciate like a ridiculous older movie where it all you know it depends on maybe how I woke up that day with me sometimes I think. Mm-hmm. But this, you know, once it once it got to like the extra ridiculous stuff is when I started to enjoy myself more. Mm-hmm. And then I do like Roddy Piper and you know. That era and the stupid, ridiculous effects, you know, creature effects. And yeah. I think Bull really did it for me. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's worth watching just for that that bullfrog. Man. <laughs> as crazy as that sounds to say. This is what we need. So uh, Shout Factory a while back announced a, uh, a new collector's edition of uh, Night of the Creeps. And they did a tie-in with NECA, where NECA produced a special limited edition Tom Atkins action figure that you could get along with it. Shout Factory needs to get the rights mm. to Hell Comes to Frogtown, and they need to put out a fucking bull action figure along with it from NECA. Oh, man. Mills, I mean... I will buy you yeah. that for your birthday if they put it out. The time is now. You just got to be on the Twitter machine. Someone will listen. Yeah. Uh, they announce uh, new movies coming out all the time, so it, any day now we could hear about a Hell Comes to Frogtown, and Imagine. I hope it happens. Hey, man, just got a conjure. You got to put it out into the universe. <laughs> I'm sending the signals hard right uh, now. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't sure how this one was going to shake out, so for us to uh, <laughs> agree, you know, this is a surprise. Ab- Abraxas was the real wild card here because... I did not expect it to be as shitty as it is. Like I expected it to be kind of a fun, forgotten, yeah, low budget action movie, but it is just the worst. Gladly forgotten. Yeah. How comes to Frogtown and movies like it? You know, you made the comment that uh, I seem to have a tendency to be able to get more out of a movie like this than most, or at least than you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to be honest, uh, originality and um, shock value goes a long way for me. Sometimes, like, just if to sit back and of all of the, you know, possible different incarnations of the world that we live in, we exist in the same world as a movie called Hell Comes to Frogtown, <laughs> right, right. where Roddy Piper wears a chastity belt in the future and fights frog people. It's just like, I feel honored to exist in a world with that movie. And I don't want to take it for granted. So, oh god, I love it. I just, I'll continue I, to love it. I want Hell Comes to Frogtown to win some kind of award so that you can go up and collect that <laughs> award for it. Well, Donald G. Jackson is unfortunately not with us anymore. So, if uh, if it comes to it, I'll gladly take that responsibility. Somebody's got to carry that frog torch, Mills. <laughs> gladly. Oh, jeez. <clears throat> All right. Here we go. All right. Time to pick that next uh, trio of films. 
how many episodes we've got, Mills? We've got 191 possible categories available to us right now. Here we go. 90. 90. Next episode, we are going to be doing the theme dark comedy. Dark comedy. Kind of a generic name for a theme. What could it mean? Ooh. I'm intrigued, Mills. I've seen one of these. I've seen them all. Okay. And I'm excited to revisit more than one and less than three of them. (laughs) All right. Fair enough. (laughs) So, uh, next episode, dark comedy. Uh, I'm excited. Ah, I am now. (laughs) Uh, I'm just excited to record any of these episodes. Watch some of these crazy movies. Yeah. It's easy. I'm looking forward. <laughs> well, till next time, I am Joe Daxberger. And I am Ryan Miller. Thanks for watching. That was one of the finest movies I've ever seen. They ought to make them all like that. None of this nonsense about social matters. People don't go to the movies to see how miserable the world is. They go there to eat popcorn and be happy. Be happy, happy, happy.